Welcome to PCC this morning. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, today is Scout Sunday, and uh, we have Blake and Logan in the back. They've taken their position there to receive our children fifth grade and under. If uh, kids fifth grade and under want to head out to their classrooms, Blake and Logan are going to uh, lead them out and uh, take them to their correct classrooms. Guys, thanks for doing that with us this morning. Appreciate that. And uh, parents, what we ask is after you send your kids, the one requirement is you have to pick them up at the end of service. That's what we always tell them, uh, tell you as parents. So uh, we don't want to keep your children, so be sure and pick them up. Um, uh, As they do that, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Uh, We'll be looking at verse 14 here in a few moments. Uh, We continue with our In Christ series, a series where we've been looking at how we are together growing and living uh, in Christ. We've already covered a lot of ground in this series, uh, looking at the blessings and, and the redemption that we have in Christ, uh, how we have been chosen, and how we have our hope and our fullness that is found only in Christ, in Christ alone. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in chapter 2, and if you remember, what we discovered is that our relationship with God has been restored because of what Christ has done, and our relationship with each other has been restored because of what Christ has done as well. And, and as a result, result of what Christ has done. We are no longer dead. We are alive. We're no longer separated from God, but we are united with him. We are co-heirs bound together in love and grace and peace and hope, and we have a relationship with him. Uh, Remember, we talked about that wall or that barrier that's been broken down, that, that Christ broke down that barrier so that we could all have equal access to God, and as such, we can be together. We can be the church. That's what we're called to do, and the church is together because of the salvation of God that is offered through Christ, his son. And what we found up to this point is Paul sharing uh, with the readers the significance of what God has done through Christ and what that means for those who believe. Uh, That's kind of where we've been to this point. This has major implications for life, how they viewed themselves, how they viewed other people. And so it was making a difference. And Paul is trying to get them to see their current reality of their life to see how that would make a difference in their life moving forward. So before we jump into our text today, uh, yeah, Mike's going to give us just a little bit more light in here because I want some audience participation. Um, I want you to share with a person or two around you the answer to this question I'm going to ask you. But here's the thing. Where are we? We are in church is the right answer. Where are we? We're in church. And when you're in church, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to give the right answers, right? Oftentimes in church, what we try to do is to give other people the right answers too. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm fine, right? Where inside, maybe life is, is horrible. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to be just a little vulnerable for the next 30 seconds, all right? And I want you to answer this one question. I want you to answer it transparently and honestly, not because you're in church, not the right answer, not what you think the person next to you wants to hear, okay? Does that make sense what I'm asking? And you're like, I'm not sure I want to play this game, right? It's one question, and the question is simply this. If you could ask God for anything, and you know that God would say yes, or God would grant your request, or whatever that case may be, if you could ask God for one thing, and you know the answer would be yes, what would it be? For what would you ask him? Go.
Tell Jackie. <laughs> Come on, Hillary, you can do this. It's a real question. That's right. It's a real question. Okay, so here's what, here's what I've observed from up here, kind of what I thought would happen. We have some people that were like, oh, yeah, I got this, and they're immediately in. Some people that are just sitting there like, I hope no one comes up to me. I hope no one asks me because I don't want to have this conversation, right? We also have the people that were real, you know, like Hillary said, this is a tough question. This is a real question. Yeah, and then other people, I could tell just by the conversation, were like, yeah, kind of flipping about it, right? And I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you asked for, but I wonder... What you ask for? Did you ask for money in some form or fashion? Did you ask for power or influence? Did you ask for a new car or a house or a time off or a job? Did you ask for healing? Did you ask for a Super Bowl win, right? Or maybe even a Super Bowl appearance? I'm just saying. But in our text today, right? In our text today, what we find is that Paul is asking God for some things. And he does it in the form of a prayer, a prayer we touched on last week. You remember from last week, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul begins by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he, and he, he continues in his prayer, right? No, he stops in his prayer, remember? And then verses 2 through 13, he goes off and, and talks about all this other stuff, right? He talks about how he is, uh, he's responsible. He feels like he is a steward of God's grace that's been given to him, and he's supposed to share it to other people. And he tells them all of these things that, that he feels like he's responsible to tell them in verses 2 through 13. And then in verse 14, he returns to his prayer by once again saying, for this reason. And then he begins his second intercessory prayer that we find in this letter in Ephesians. And what we find in this prayer is a very consistent theme with the prayer back in his first prayer in, in Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 23. Paul expresses this desire for God to reveal the vastness of his power to the recipients of the letter. He, he wants them to understand who God is and to truly grasp that. And, and if you were to read this second prayer, you quickly discover that it's themed in love. A love that concerns can serve as a, as a firm foundation for their lives. And this prayer sets up what we as believers are then called to do. And so Paul, Paul sets this up. The letter of Ephesians can really easily be divided into two different sections. The first three chapters uh, talk about uh, what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. And the second part of the letter, verses 4 through 6, they bring to light the response or the responsibility we have as believers to allow the Lord to truly be Lord in every aspect of our lives. And this is especially true when we look at it through the lens of love, how we are to exercise the same selfless love that Christ demonstrated to us and how we are to allow it to touch our lives so it will change our life. Because we are created to have a deeper and a greater awareness of the love that God not only has for us, but the love that God has for all humankind. You see, I would suggest that Paul realized that the people reading this letter, they probably would have struggled with accepting the fact that what he was sharing was actually possible. And I wonder for you, 
Do you ever struggle with the fact that God actually does love you? Because if we're transparent today, I've got to tell you at times I do. And I wonder if you do as well. You wonder if God can really love you because you know you. And you know at times you're not very lovely or lovable. Do we believe that God loves us? And I think, I think Paul understood that they would struggle with that. And so he's trying to get them to see that this is a, a new and amazing and exciting way to realize that they had access to God in a way that they never before dreamed possible. And it's all because of Christ. So after laying this foundation that we've been walking through as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, uh, up, up to this point, he seeks to prepare them for the instructions that are to follow. So he builds them up. And here we're going to see that he prays for them before he says, okay, now, here's what you are to do. And so let's look at the prayer today. The prayer that Paul began in verse 1, he picks up in verse 14 of chapter 3. Here we go. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. This is an amazing prayer of Paul. And it has has significance and implications that, that we really need to wrestle with. And so to help us kind of catch a glimpse of that this morning, because I, I really don't believe in our time here today that, that we could go as deep and as wide and as long and as, and as high as, as it, we really can and should with this prayer, but, but we're going to try to catch a glimpse of it this morning. And to do that, we're going to look at it from three different aspects. The first one is this. I want to look at how did Paul pray? How did he pray? Again, verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, I don't know if you've ever given much thought to how you pray. And maybe a better way to say that is, have you given much thought to the posture in which you take when you pray? In my years, I have seen and heard uh, countless numbers of, uh, of different prayers. And depending on your faith tradition, your background, or the way you've been taught, there may be certain postures that you have been taught to take while you are praying. When we look at the scriptures, we find a vast array of different postures. We see that David sat before the Lord in prayer. It's not the only thing he did, but we know he sat before the Lord. Abraham stood. Ezra bowed down. He also laid his face down before the Lord. Moses raised his hands. And I know that even though I don't think scripture says this, and biblical scholars out there, you can correct me, but, but I don't think we ever know that Jesus, you know, was always looking up when he prayed. But isn't that what you always think of? You always think of Jesus looking up, you know, raising his head to heaven when he prays. At least that's my vision of Jesus when he's praying. That's the posture he took. Paul says here that he is kneeling. So is there a correct posture of prayer? What do you think? I'm going to argue. I'm going to say yes. I think there is a correct posture of prayer. But I would argue that it has nothing to do with the position of your body and everything to do with the condition of your heart. When I read through this text, as I was going through it, I thought of the, the number of times that 
I have knelt in prayer, as Paul said there, right? He says, I kneel before the Father. I remember the times that I've knelt, not just in prayer, but, but the times I've been kneeling. I, I remember I went forward at the end of a church service because I had things that were really weighing heavy on my heart, and I asked someone to pray for me, and I kneeled down so they could pray for me. I was kneeling when the elders of my church laid their hands on me and prayed for me at my ordination. I spent time kneeling uh, at the side of hospital beds for family members and friends. I've knelt down to offer comfort and support to people in, in their times of loss. I was down on one knee when I asked Michelle to marry me. And for me, getting down on a knee is a sign of reverence, of humility, of surrender, of submission. It's a posture of the body that was trying to reflect the condition of my heart. But again, I just want to clearly say, I think it's the condition of your heart that sets the tone for your prayer, not the posture of your body. That's not what's important, which is why I believe that an honest, heartfelt, and at times passionate and and even gut-level, gut-wrenching, honest prayers before God can take place regardless of where you are. When you're driving in your car, when you're sitting at your desk, when you're out on a run, when you fall exhausted into bed, when you're kneeling by your child's bedside, when you're raising your hands and bowing your head or standing, or it, it, it doesn't matter. It's the condition of your heart. Paul says, because of all that God has done for this reason... He says, I take the posture of humility. I kneel before the Father because he is the one from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. And he says, because of those things, what does he do? He prays. So what does he pray? Well, if we look at verses 16 through 19, we see Paul ask God that God would out of his riches uh, riches that he's already talked about back in verse 8, those, those incomparable uh, riches, the brilliance, the majesty, the holiness, the power, those unsearchable riches of God, that they would strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Paul prays that the power we have, that which we rely on in our life, would not be from our own strength and from our own power, but instead we would have the power, the, the dunamis, the, the, the power through the Holy Spirit. God's presence in our life, that's where we would have our power. Seeking to allow God to strengthen our lives is is something that Paul and the the fellow fellow Jewish readers, they would have been very familiar with this concept and this idea. In Psalm 105 verse 4, we're encouraged to look to the Lord and his strength to seek his face always. Paul is praying that God would be deep inside us, that his power would be in our inner being. And this is this inner being language is, is most closely associated with the heart, the, the innermost part of us. It's expressing this moral and spiritual side of people, a part that strengthens us and allows us to most closely resemble the new creation that we are to be in God through Christ. With the result of that being that, that Christ He may swell in our hearts and we may have faith because his power is in us. And and this is amazingly significant, especially when you consider what Paul has been telling them, right? For the previous three chapters, Paul has been telling them that they have all these reasons and proofs and facts and evidence as to all these things that God has done for them and why that is significant and why that is life-changing. And so he prays that they would have power. And he prays that it's not just a knowledge or, or a fact that they would believe in their head, but that it would be a deeper significance, that it would be of a personal nature. 
It would go deep into their inner being and it would draw them nearer to Christ. His, his desire is for them that in the context of the church that they would personally allow the opportunity of Christ to influence every aspect of their life. He, he desires for the audience to allow God's power through the Holy Spirit to get to the core of who they are. And I know I've said that like four times in a row, but that's how important it is. That we allow God's power to get to the innermost part of who we are. Paul goes on to pray by using two metaphors there in the text. He, he says, I want you to be rooted and established. Rooted is this agricultural metaphor that maybe, at least in my mind, it brought to mind the parable that Jesus told about the sower and the four different types of soil. The, the path where the, the, the path was so hard that the seed fell on it and it was trampled or it was eaten by the birds. There was the, the rocky soil where the seed sprang up but it died due to a lack of moisture. There's the thorny soil where the seed sprang up and grew but then was choked out by all the thorns. And then the good soil where the seed grew and it had roots and it was established and it produced a bountiful harvest. Paul prays that they would have their roots sunk deep into the good soil, the abundant love of God. He also uses the word established which is from a you know, construction background, and it reminds people often of the parable of the wise and foolish builder, the foolish builder who built his house on the sand and the wise builder who built his house on the rock. Paul prays that we would be rooted and established so that when the trials and the testings come, and they will come, that we will be deep and strong and able to stand and continue to stand firm. He reminds them that the relationship in Christ is more than just an emotional experience. It has to do with knowledge. It has to do with the experience of God's love in our life and how we are made alive in Christ and we are united with him so that we can participate in his resurrection and experience the forgiveness through his amazing love that he has for us. And it's because of his love that we have power along with all the saints, as the text tells us, for believers. We have connection with those who've come before us, to those who will come after us, to grasp and to, to comprehend, to acknowledge within ourselves how wide and how high and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. Paul wants us to know the full dimensions of God's love. His love goes beyond our experience. I had to talk to a, a physics professor to make sure that I had all my facts straight, right? But when we are plotting things, our world only requires three coordinates, Three axes, if you will, the X, Y, and Z axis, right? And that is how we measure height and width and depth. But Paul speaks here, and he goes beyond that. He, he uses four. He says how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. And it's a love that goes beyond our dimensions of space and includes what physicists call this fourth dimension, the dimension of time. His love cannot be contained within our context. It is something that exists before and will continue to exist for all time. It's the depth that we just cannot understand. And maybe that's why he prays in verse 19 that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I had to think, at least maybe for me, and maybe this, you've got this concept down, but, but for me, maybe my mind's just not that big. Maybe our minds are just not big enough to contain it. Maybe we're just not as smart as we think we are. Maybe the only way that this is possible for us to really get this is to allow our hearts to be expanded. And then we have the hope of understanding who God truly is in his love for our life. Because if our heart understands, our mind can follow. 
our mind can understand then the love that God has for us. It's not something that can be known just by mere calculation or contemplation. It has to be known in our hearts, in our inner being. And how's that made possible? It's made possible through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit in our life. And this is what Paul prayed for. Paul's desire is for believers to be invited into Christ and to live their lives in a deeper and greater degree in a relationship with him. He wants this to impact their lives, to give them divine strength and give them the the desire to be rooted and established in the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is imploring the people, based on everything that has happened, here's what I desire for you. And church... Because of what God has done for you and for me and for us, we need to catch a glimpse of what God has done for us. So why did Paul pray this prayer? Well, because Paul knew that God, and God alone has the power and the ability to accomplish this prayer, to fulfill this request. He knew that only God was able to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or dream or imagine. He knew that it was not through his own power or through our own power, but it is through God's power working within us, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's what's available to us. Paul understood that the church, that the church is to put their trust and their faith and their hope in Christ. Then we bring glory to God as we do those things. Peter O'Brien said, the church is the masterpiece of his grace and his grace that reigns forever and ever. And Christ is forever and ever. And the church is forever and ever because his people are forever. His glory will last forever. And we have hope forever and ever. Amen. So be it. May it be so, says Paul. Lord, bring this to fruition. So Paul prays. He prays for the people there. He prays for his audience. And I think it's a prayer that we can apply to us as well. Because we need those things in our life individually. We need those things in our life as a community of believers so that we can make an impact on the world. And so all that is true about us, can be pray, we can pray for and we can be given power through the Spirit so that we can do the things that we will see in the rest of this letter of what we've been called to do. And so what does this prayer mean for us today? Well, I want to break it down into three things that I think we should focus on here this morning. The first thing is this. I think it causes us to acknowledge who God truly is and what he's done for us. That's the first thing. And one practical way we try to acknowledge God, who he is, and what he has truly done for us each and every week is when we participate in communion. So I'm going to invite the ushers to go back and to begin uh, collecting the, the communion elements. The bread, which represents his body, and the juice, which represents his blood. And in just a moment, we're going to pass those trays. And as the trays are passed, we're going to invite you to participate in that, to take of the bread, to take of the juice, to acknowledge who God is and to acknowledge what he has done for you. It's truly an opportunity for us to to worship and to celebrate God for what he's done. As believers, we're reminded that we are to take the bread and we're to take the juice. And every time we do that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We proclaim what he's done for us. We acknowledge who he is. We have hope. We have life. We have forgiveness in him. So let's remember. Let's celebrate the sacrifice. Let's worship him by participating in communion. And after you've participated in communion, after you've taken of the bread and the juice, we're we're going to sing together and worship and acknowledge God and who he is. 
That's the first focus that we can have together today. And so as we do this individually, we do this as a community of believers. We celebrate. We remember. I want to invite the ushers to go ahead and make their way forward. You partake of communion this morning as we worship together. Um, it's interesting to talk about prayer and then to, to not pray. So we should pray. And so over the next few minutes, uh, I want to give us three different things on which uh, I would like for us collectively to just pray about. And so I want to invite you to take whatever posture of prayer is right for you, to stand, to sit right where you are, to kneel, go to the cross, to go to the back. To, I, I, don't, I don't care. It's the condition of your heart that is important. And so whatever helps you focus on him this morning, I want to invite you to to take that posture of prayer as we pray together. Um, And whatever physical posture you choose, you don't have to stay there. You can move. This isn't going to be a long time. It's going to be, you know, just a few minutes. So feel free to allow God to lead you and direct you as we pray through this together. And so uh, I, I would invite you to surrender your heart as an individual and church, as a body of believers. Let's surrender to him together. Let's pray.
I invite you to, to pray for God's power to strengthen you and to strengthen each and every one of us. Church, I invite you to pray that God's love would be evident in your life and that it would be evident in the life of this church and the church universal. Church, I invite you to pray that God would be Lord in every aspect of your life, as well as every ministry at the church, that we would joyfully walk in obedience with him. Father God, we, we surrender to you. We bow our hearts to you. We offer these prayers 
to you and to you alone, for you are the only one who has the power to accomplish the things in which you desire to do in our own lives, in our families, in our communities, in the life of this church. Father, we acknowledge you, thanking you for who you are and all that you've done for us. We thank you that we can approach you, that you've torn down the wall and you've made yourself accessible to us. And not only that, but you invite us into your presence, that you desire to be with us. And so, Father, I pray that we would know that in our hearts. Let that permeate every aspect of who we are so that not only can we know you, but that other people can can know you as well. Thank you, God, that we don't have to walk through this life alone, but that we have each other. And as a body, as a community of believers, we're here to encourage, to strengthen, to hold accountable. Thank you, Father, for that opportunity. And thank you for bringing us together. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We pray that we would have the power and the strength and the opportunity to fulfill what God has set before us, to be alive and to be united, to be bound together, to be people of hope and grace and peace all through his power in our life. And we pray that, that God's love is evident in our life and it's evident not only to us but to other people as well so that they no longer see just us but they see the love of, of God through Christ shining through us. So as we pray that in every aspect of our life, as we pray for these things to happen, I, I pray that we would walk in his obedience, that we would pers- purposefully and intentionally surrender to his will, and that we would actively seek to honor him in all that we say and do. And here's what hit me as I was going through this, when it talks about the love of Christ and these three things that, that we're called to do. Um, if we have God's power in our life, and yet we do not have love, often we can be seen as authoritative or as a dictator who is drunk with power and is concerned about no one other than themselves. If we have obedience in our life in every area and every aspect of our life, but we do not have his love in our life, often we are seen as legalistic and cold and uncaring. But if God's love is evident in our life, in every aspect of our life, Not only will we have his power strengthening us, but we will have the ability and the power to walk in obedience with him. It hinges on the love of God through Christ being power in your innermost being, in your heart. And if you hear nothing else here today, hear that. That God wants his love to be in your heart so that it will just impact every aspect of who you are. And we remember his sacrifice. We pray. It's why we strive to do what we are called to do, to worship him in every area, in every aspect of our life.
One of the ways that we worship the Lord is through giving. The way we give of our time, the way we give of our talents, the way we give of our resources. And, and each week we offer the opportunity for you to give. And if you came prepared today to give financially, then we're going to invite you to do that. It's one of the many ways in which we worship the Lord. If you uh, have your communication card filled out, we're going to invite you to drop that in the bags as they're passed as well. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering as we worship him through our gifts, through our tithes, and through our offerings here this morning. Um, And as uh, you give and as they're receiving that, I'm going to ask Mike to, to show us our announcement video here this morning. Hey, we want to thank you for being here today. Again, can't overemphasize enough our event on Thursday night. I hope that you're planning to attend. Hopefully you've registered online and uh, you'll be here on Thursday night at 7 for that event. Um, If you are visiting here at PCC today, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you about about what it means for us to worship as a community of believers and to strive to follow Christ and all we say and do. If you're here today and you have a church home, we're really glad that you're here, and I hope that you are encouraged, and as you go back to your home church, that you will uh, be encouraged and know that we're talking about Jesus and trying to spread his love uh, in this part of the country and this part of the world as well. Um, 
if you're here today and God has, has spoken to you, you just feel God leading you to, to talk to someone, maybe you want to accept Christ and, and talk about what that means to have him as your Lord and Savior, to have his love uh, in your heart, we would love to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, when we dismiss today, uh, members of the prayer team and the leadership team will be over here by the cross, and so we're just going to invite you to make your way over to talk to them, or you, you can talk to me on your way out, and if you don't want to do either of those things, then we would love for you to, to call or to email or to stop by, and we just would love to have that opportunity to talk with you uh, to begin walking this path together of what it means to allow the power of God through Christ to penetrate into our heart, into our, the innermost part of our being so that we can walk and live for him. Uh, you're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to get it right, but we're going to strive to do that to the best of our ability, allowing his power to work through us, not relying on our own. And so that's what we strive to do. Um, the, the, the way we want to wrap up the uh, service today is to pray together. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to stand right where you are, and uh, I'd like for all of us to stand for this prayer, but it's going to be on the screen, and uh, I've changed the pronouns from singular to plural uh, in this, so I've taken it, you know, I guess I've rewritten scripture, should, should be acceptable in this form, but uh, Mike's going to put that up there, and it's, uh, it's Paul's prayer, verses 16 through 21. I'm going to invite us as a church to simply pray this prayer together as we go from here today. So let's pray together this morning. We pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep It's the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you.